Welcome to this broadcast of Truth For Today. Our study is going to continue on the Sermon on the Mount, found mostly in in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. This is part 3, which I subtitle Christ and the Law. Uh, So before we start and get into the study, let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord for giving us, through technology and our own health, the ability to participate in studying your word. Um, Thank you for its inspiration. Thank you for preserving the documents. Thank you for the skilled translators who have given us it to us in our own languages. We ask that We would cooperate with the Holy Spirit, whose mission is to bring us into all the truth, that uh, he would identify to us as we look at the truth today uh, on ways that we can apply it in our own lives. Amen. Uh, I'd like to start with a brief uh, review of parts one and two. Uh, the characteristics of the Sermon on the Mount that are important to remember as you go through it step by step is that this is a sermon that Jesus gave to his disciples who were the primary target audience. There were uh, crowds in the vicinity, but he went up on the mountain partly away from the crowds and he called the disciples to him and he sat down and he taught them. So this is primarily teachings to people who consider themselves disciples of Jesus. I'm sure that there were people in the crowd that heard parts of it, but it is not like what we've seen in the Hollywood versions, where it's clear in the Hollywood versions that he's preaching to the crowd. That is not what the biblical record shows. Uh, The first element in the sermon was elements of Christian character, which are frequently referred to as the Beatitudes. And then last week we talked about salt and light and what Jesus expects of his disciples to act as salt and light. Today, Jesus takes on the law. So we will, starting in chapter 5 of Matthew, starting with verse 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. I came not to abolish, but instead to fulfill. What does the law and the prophets mean to Jesus and to the people who were listening to him? Well, when Jesus refers to the law and the prophets, he is considering the entire Hebrew scriptures, which, if you're using a 21st century edition of the scriptures is what we frequently is called in our translated editions the Old Testament. The entire Old 
Testament, starting in Genesis and going all the way through Malachi. Now, the law usually refers to the books that Moses wrote, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And the law is broken in, as we look at it, is broken into groups of commands and precepts. Um, There are doctrinal teachings. Included in that are how the people of Israel were supposed to worship. Frequently called the sacrificial system. It included instructions for who the high priest was supposed to be, what the priests were supposed to eat, how they were supposed to behave. All that was part of how the people of Israel were to worship and what role the priests and the Levites were going to play in that. Uh, And so I look at that as the sacrificial system or... and that there are other parts of the law. They're what are referred to as ethical precepts. A good example of an ethical precept would be the Ten Commandments. Uh, ethical precepts are kind of universal in effect. They refer to who God is and how he's ordered things and they apply beyond the people of Israel. We don't have to follow the sacrificial system that the people of Israel used to follow because the sacrificial system was a tutorial, to use a modern term, on on the reality that was the Messiah. All the blood sacrifices in the sacrificial system were pointing towards the reality of the blood sacrifice of the Son of God. And when he says, I've come to fulfill the law, one of those fulfillments that Jesus is going to do is he's going to fulfill the blood sacrifice requirement. And so once that's done, the blood sacrifices of the Old Testament are no longer required. There was also civil law in the law of Moses and how the people of Israel were to treat each other. Uh, Some of those, a lot of those are based on the ethical precepts. Some of them are unique. Let me just give you one example. Um, If you accidentally killed someone, what would be described in today's uh, in today's laws as manslaughter. Uh, In Israel, that was considered not murder. And so, however, because the family of the person who died might want to take vengeance, the person who was the manslayer could flee to a sanctuary city. There are 12 cities spread out throughout the territory of Israel where that man could flee. And after a hearing was held to determine whether he was a manslayer or whether he was a murderer, 
If he was a manslayer, he was allowed to remain in the sanctuary city and protected from the people seeking vengeance until the death of the high priest, and then he could go home. The thought being that the death of the high priest would be follow, would be far enough in the future that the people who were hot and angry would have had time for God to talk to them about the difference between murder and accidental slaying and that he would be in no danger when he returned home. Well, that was a civil law for the people of Israel. It was unique to the people of Israel. Uh, and that is also part of the law of Moses. So we have, uh, we have uh, sacrificial law. We have ethical precepts or ethical law, which is more universal and applies to everybody under creation. And then we have um, civil law, which applied specifically to the people of Israel. Um, and in each case, Jesus is saying, I have come to fulfill those. We have seen how he is fulfilling the sacrificial system. He fulfills the ethical precepts because he obeys them completely, which we cannot do, and explains what obedience will involve for the disciples, even though he knows they will not be able to successfully do what he was able to do. So by completely obeying those ethical precepts, uh, he qualifies as the spotless, sinless Lamb of God that allows him then to fulfill the sacrificial law as well. Now that's the law. Prophecy is primarily all the prophets other than the Mosaic law. Uh, 90 to 95% of the prophets, books of the prophets deal with this is how God says you're supposed to live. This is how you're living. Repent and do it God's way. That's 90 to 95% of the prophetic texts. The other 5% are predictive. This is, this is what's going to come to pass in the future. Many of those prophecies have to do with the Messiah. Jesus, in his life and ministry on earth, fulfilled all of the fulfillable prophecies concerning the Messiah. If you want an example, go to Isaiah chapter 53. So, that's how Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. Let's go back to Matthew 19 and 20. So, whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Please notice, he doesn't say that if you do not carry out the smallest of the laws or teach to carry out 
the smallest of the laws, that you are disqualified from the kingdom of heaven. You are least in the kingdom. You are in the kingdom, but you are least because the entrance into the kingdom is not contingent on obedience to the law. Entrance to the kingdom is granted by Jesus by allegiance to him. It's a gift of grace. It's undeserved and it's unearnable. However, your status within the kingdom will be enhanced if you carry out the law and encourage and teach others to do the same. And he goes on. Uh, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and the Pharisees taught that entry into the kingdom of heaven was earned by completely obeying the law. Jesus is saying that doesn't hack it. He's going to go into much more comprehensive detail to explain this as he moves forwards in the sermon. But he starts out here saying, your righteousness cannot be the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Their righteousness is based on what they earn through following the law. We need to have a righteousness, and it's explained in the New Testament that this unrighteousness is not actually earned. We are given this righteousness as as part of God's grace. Jesus takes the penalty of our sin, and he gives us his righteousness, which is perfect in action, perfect in heart attitude. And he's going to make a distinction going forward for the rest of the sermon between the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious system in Israel and the true righteousness of God. And the first distinction is depth of righteousness and not quantity. The scribes and the Pharisees focused on how many laws they kept. How many times? Jesus and God focus on where is your heart? Therefore, it's an inward righteousness that is the kind that Jesus is talking about of mind and motive, not an external righteousness of actions only. Jesus grants that if your heart mind and motives are in line with God's righteousness, then your outward actions will reflect that. But the reverse is not necessarily true. This inward righteousness is impossible through human strength. The scribes and the Pharisees 
They're working on human strength, strength of their own will, their training, their education, strength of them to earn. But they can't do it perfectly. And God requires perfection. But with the, with the advent of the Holy Spirit, things that were impossible before through human will become possible when we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. This requires what Jesus referred to in John chapter 3 when he was talking with Nicodemus as the new birth. Now, we're not going to cover the details today, but I'm going to give you an overview of what we're going to cover in the next couple weeks, which is the six antithesis contained that Jesus is going to be using as examples of what he's talking about. He's going to talk about murder. He's going to talk about adultery. He's going to talk about divorce. He's going to talk about vows. He's going to talk about vengeance. And he's going to talk about enemies. And they all follow a general pattern in his teaching. He introduces each of those discussions with, you have heard it said. He does not start that discussion with, it is written. He uses, you have heard it said. I didn't understand fully the import of what that meant until a couple of years ago. I was attending a presentation by a local rabbi about uh, prayer shawls, uh, phylacteries, and, uh, and tassels, which are all mentioned in, in Deuteronomy. Uh, a phylactery in Deuteronomy was a device to be worn either on the hands or on the forehead to remind the person to follow after God and, and his laws. Um, and borders and tassels on the garment were to fulfill the same function. Okay. Well, uh, Oral tradition, as I found out when talking to this rabbi, uh, augmented what the uh, the Deuteronomy discussion was. And uh, in modern day uh, Orthodox um, Jewish practice, the phylactery is a fairly sizable two inch by two inch box that is tied around and sits on the forehead looks really ugly and and the same size of box is tied to the upper arm okay uh, and when I asked the rabbi after the presentation and I pointed out to him what the Deuteronomy command was and how what they were diff- doing was actually different than what the Deuteronomy command was he told me that there are two laws, two bodies of law that Jews follow and practice. There's the written law, which is contained in Torah, the five first books of the Bible. 
And then there's the oral law. That's the word he used, oral law. Oral laws. They began in the 400-year silence from the end of the last Old Testament prophet until the coming of John the Baptist. The schools, rabbinical schools in those days wrote and commented on the laws and the prophets and they became part of what is now considered the oral law of Israel. And modern Jews are following the same pattern that the scribes and the Pharisees were following in that they were following the oral law and not necessarily following the written laws. That's why Jesus is saying when he introduces each of these antithesis, you have heard it said. He is referring to the oral law, not to Torah. And he, he, he then contrasts that after he goes through what you have heard it said, and then he describes what it is that you've heard said, he says, but I say to you. Now, he has the authority to do that because he's the second person of God. And he is, he is in effect, steering the conversation from away from the oral tradition and back to what God originally said and intended. He is attempting in his in this part of the sermon to correct the distortions made by the teachers of the law in in Jerusalem and in Judea in that day. Because the teachers of the law did two things to distort God's law. The first thing they did is they tried to restrict the application of the commandments. And the second thing they tried to do was broaden the permissions in the Torah. So he is not contradicting Moses' writings in the Torah. In, these, in this section that's coming up. He is making a correction and of the traditions of men and pointing them back to what Torah, God said in Torah and what he intended. This will get him into a lot of trouble with the teachers of the law. But nevertheless, Jesus' mission was to testify to the truth and he is going to do just that. That's the end of the uh, lesson for today. If you live or are visiting the vicinity of Phoenix, Arizona and like to participate in the other half of the live Bible study here, which is questions, answers, and discussion. Um, you can feel free to visit Sun City West Christian Church in Sun City West, and we conduct this Bible study at 9.30 in the morning. Uh, may God bless you all.